All right, guys, we're back for the second part of the Dan the Hangman Hooker breakdown. So let's finish up this Mark Jacasey fight. We have the finishing exchange to go over, and it's a great finish for Dan Hooker here. So Hooker lands the calf kick to the lead to the outside of the lead leg of Mark Jacasey, and Jacasey times it and tries to shoot a takedown. But he didn't time it well enough, so when he got kicked and it landed, he slipped a little bit on the takedown. So he had a little bit, he with the space that he tried to cover to close, he wasn't able to close as much distance. Within that time, he drops down, Hooker grabs Jacasey's neck with a palm-to-palm -palm grip. So a normal grip, you're going to interlock your fingers, or you can, that's normally how people grip their hands. But the best grip is a gable grip or a palm-to-palm. And you can use this in the guillotine as well, and that's what makes Dan Hooker's guillotine so good. So he shot that sloppy takedown. Hooker grabbed um, Jacasey's neck and grabbed palm-to-palm -palm grip. So you're in a lot tighter to Hooker's body, and you have a lot less space, and you can get a lot more torque on the neck with a palm-to-palm -palm grip because it's so tight and so strong. So he gets the palm-to-palm -palm grip and pushes into Jacasey with all of his weight and uh, ends up getting into the guard position. So he locks in the, the choke on the neck, palm-to-palm -palm grip, and uh, locks both of his legs around the back of Jacasey and pushes into him. And then he ends up rotating to his side and, uh, and putting his hips into it. But the second that Hooker got this guillotine, Jacasey tapped right away. And it was just the amount of pressure and the torque that he's able to put on your neck with that palm-to-palm -palm grip. So he grabs the neck, palm-to-palms it, gets the, grabs the guard, turns over onto his side, pushes his hips forward, and uh, locks it up. Jacasey immediately taps, and he gets the third-round submission finish over Mark Jacasey. Great finish for him here and just shows how good his submission game really is. If Dan Hooker gets a hold of your neck, they call him the hangman for a reason, and he's going to hang you out to dry and put you to bed. Up next, we have a fight that he had against a veteran of the sport, Jim Miller. This was on April 21st, 2018. So right out of the gate in the beginning of the fight, Hooker was again faking and fainting the jab. Like I always say, he's coming out, he's trying to get your read your uh, reactions, your defensive patterns, and then counter off what you throw, step into range, pick you apart, and just really make it a masterpiece. So like I said, bam, faking the jab out of the gate and moving towards the weak side of Jim Miller. You never want to move towards the power because if you move into the opponent's power, you're just going to add more force when they try to connect with that shot and it's easier for you to get knocked out. You want to move towards their weak side so they have to constantly reset and try to move you towards the other direction to land the power or they have to cut a bigger angle to the outside of their weak side to uh, throw a power shot or they can also... Just use that jab or the lead hook and then just direct you into the power. But moving towards the weak side, you want to do that right off the bat. You never want to circle into the power because it just adds impact and it adds force to the shots. So he fakes the jab and he throws the rear teep. Boom. Catches uh, Miller right, on the, right in the middle of the bread basket, the stomach. Jab, fake the rear teep. Bop. And then he fakes the outside. He fakes, and then he throws an outside low kick and an inside low kick. So he's attacking everything right out of the gate in the beginning of this fight. He's jab, lead inside kick, outside kick, teep, fake, bop, bop. He's always doing stuff. So jab, rear teep, fake, get a reaction, outside, inside low kick. 
He's attacking everything, attacking at all angles. He uses the rear teep again to push Miller back. He's always doing this. Just keep him away. Bop, bop. And uh, there's a different there's different types of teeps you can throw, and they really call it a tip. It's not a teep like T-E-E-P. That's how you spell it, but it's said like tip. So you can throw a teep where you bring your knee up and you push him. It's more of a push kick. You can just push him back, and it's to gauge distance to knock the wind out of your opponent and push him away. Or you can throw a stabbing teep kick, which is where you move into range and you just throw right up the center. Boom. And you use your front part of uh, the ball of your foot and you just stab right into the lower part of the abdomen in the bread basket. It's more like you're stabbing them instead of taking the wind out of them. That move, that works really well. And if you were going to pick between each teep, there's obviously different times in fights to throw both of them. But I would say... If you're just trying to keep your distance, throw that push kick. If you're trying to take the wind out of your opponent and really damage them, throw that little snap teep. Just bop, bop. So Hooker gains control of Miller's lead hand and throws the head kick. So he has the, the right hand of Miller because Miller's a southpaw. Um, Hooker's an orthodox fighter. We've said this a lot. So an orthodox fighter... Left leg in front, right leg in back. Power's going to come from your right hand. A southpaw fighter, right foot in front, left hand in back, left foot in back. Power in the left hand, so you can push off the foot and land the shots. So Hooker gains control of Miller's right hand. You know, I always said he's he's fighting the lead hand. He's smacking it. He's touching it, and he's gaining control so that he can step into range. When you're able to touch the opponent's lead hand, you know you're in a range where you can uh, land shots on the opponent if you commit to your strikes. If you're outside of range and you go to touch the lead hand, you're not going to be able to, but you'll know that you're not in range because you can't touch it. So he gains control of the right hand and then throws the head kick. He's pushing on that uh, lead hand of Miller, which is going to move towards the power side of Dan Hooker, and he throws the high kick. And then right after he lands that, throws that high kick, he immediately throws that left jab and angles off. So he jabs and he moves to his left with the jab. This is to uh, not stand in front of your opponent, not be a stationary target, and move off and angle to the outside. Uh, the thing, like I said about Hooker is the pressure. He pushes you forward and pressures you, but then he's out of range and keeping you at a distance as well. So he's a counter striker and a pressure fighter. He did this against Miller. He, uh, he leans back in a type of shell defense to, to move out of the way of the overhand left of Jim Miller. Again, ducking down, moving into range, rolling in, ducking and throwing the overhand left. What did he do against Ross Pearson when he ducked in? Exactly. We're going to get to that in a second. He throws a rear knee to the body of Miller as Miller tries to throw the left overhand. So Miller tries to come into range, roll and throw the overhand, and uh, Hooker times it, throws a knee to the body. He was going for the chin, but I think he'll find it in a little bit. And then after he lands this knee, pushes him away, jab, inside low kick. Boom, bop. Always attacking the legs. Always, always attacking the legs. Hooker goes for a teep, and Miller catches the teep kick. Like we just explained, the teep is the front kick. You can either do it as a front push kick or a snap kick. So he catches the teep and gets under the knee to get a single leg takedown. He gets underneath the knee of Hooker, tries to lift it up and elevate it and uh, sweep the, out the other leg, but Hooker maintains his balance and just gets pushed back to the fence. As he gets pushed back to the fence, Miller actually does get the sweep, 
but uh, and gains control. But um, the second Hooker hits the ground, he uses the other, the opposite hand to push up, post on his hand, move his butt back, and get up to his feet. And then he rotates Jim Miller up against the fence. So he got swept, but the second he got swept, he grabbed control, uses it to post on his hand, rotate into Jim Miller, and then get the body lock up against the fence and be in control. So he went from getting taken down to be to getting up and being in control in a matter of about five seconds. As they move back, he uh, Miller tries to come in again. He fakes. He throws the knee. Almost lands again. This knee is is bread and butter for Dan Hooker. Uh, let's see. And then he goes right back to the fake and faint. Fake the jab. Fake the jab. See what you do. Fake. See what you do. Fake. Move inside and outside. Constant pressure, but not pressure where you have to be right in your opponent. It's keeping you at distance and pressuring you. Miller throws a jab, and uh, Hooker just angles off and counters with the right hand. Since he, since Miller's a southpaw, he throws that jab. Hooker moves to the outside, but counters with the right hand. Slip right hand. Lands the straight right again after he lands it. So he knows it's working. He's countering. He's moving. He's slipping out of the way of Jim Miller shots, and he's landing his own. Miller tried to counter with the overhand left again, and Hooker just pulls back to evade. So he throws that overhand left. Hooker just pulls back. Whoop, pulls back. Whoop. Then he moves in with a rear knee and lands right on the chin of Jim Miller. So Miller tried to throw. This was how the exchange went, like we just explained, but we're going to go over it a little bit better. He, he counters Miller's jab, cutting the angle, throwing the right hand. Boom. He lands the straight right hand again and keeps Miller back to the fence. Miller tries to counter with the overhand left to get Hooker to back up so he can get off the fence and angle. Hooker just pulls back to evade. And then Hooker moves into range, and it looks like Miller's going to shoot in to get a double leg to be able to take him down and get off the fence. And as he lowers his level, Hooker just comes right up the middle with that rear knee. Bop! Lands right on the chin and drops Miller and gets the first round, first round knockout. Again, just putting these guys to bed. That's two fights out of the three we've broken down so far that he's landed that rear knee to the chin. If you're fighting a guy like Dan Hooker and you're a shorter fighter, you have to watch out when you try to change your level. Make sure you're you're uh, timing it and you're setting it up with punches before you change your level so you can't get caught with that rear knee. Next fight up, we have his fight against Gilbert Dorino Burns at UFC 226 on July 7th, 2018. Um, Gilbert Burns is a good fighter. You know, he he's lost to a few good guys, including Dan Hooker, which we're about to break down, but he has some good wins as well. And uh, he's trying to get a good fight. I believe he wanted to fight like Santiago Ponzinibbio or Robbie Lawler. There was a couple guys he wanted to fight. I, I think he moved up to 170. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, forgive me. But I haven't seen him in a while. So right out of the gate in this fight, Burns puts the pressure on Hooker. One thing that Dan Hooker has a little bit of trouble with is when guys are pressuring him and are able to close that distance so fast. Burns immediately pushes him back. And the second he does that, Hooker lands that inside low kick, boom, inside kick, boom. But he throws it again, and uh, 
And uh, Dorino Burns, Gilbert Burns, counters with the overhand right. So as he throws that inside kick, his guard's going to be dropped. He's going to have a little bit of an opening because you're throwing an attack. Boom, countered with that overhand right, and it lands right on the chin. Hooker still backing up, letting Burns come forward, just waiting for his opportunity to counter. He throws that right low calf kick. Boom, bop. Boom, bop. And it just it keeps landing in this first round. As he's pushing forward, he just knows he's going to be heavy on his feet as he moves into range, and Hooker just times it. Jab, low kick, fake the jab, calf kick, jab, fake again, rear calf kick, and it's working. And he just lands the low calf kick over and over and over again. Hooker counters Burns overhand right with a straight right down the center as he's pushing forward. Because, you know, Burns is just trying to push in, close the distance, and hurt you. But Hooker's be able to read it, and uh, he tries to throw that overhand right, and Hooker just slips and throws that straight right hand down the center. Just bop, and this drops Burns. It hurts him bad, drops him. He basically goes out for a second, but he's able to get his wits back about him. Hooker lets him up. And Burns tries to shoot a takedown immediately. The fact that he tries to shoot this takedown shows that he got hurt by that punch and he's not all there yet. The second he shoots in, he's going to go for the neck. You know a guy like Dan Hooker, the hangman, he's going to try to hang you from that neck, put you to sleep. He grabs the, uh, tries to shoot on Hooker, he, and Hooker immediately grabs the neck and get that, tries to get that guillotine, but Burns turns into the grip and, and uh, turns into the choke, rotates, gets on his uh, elbow, and gets back up to his feet. The best thing you can do with a choke is to turn into the choke. Don't want to turn away from it because it's easier to get torque on it. When you turn towards the grip and towards the arm that's choking you, you can try to roll out or rotate and slip and get out of the get out of the choke. Not slip, but you know, rotate, turn into it, um, get a little bit of more space between the arms and the neck, and then get up. <sighs> Let's see. Uh, they get back up to the feet. Hooker pulls back and avoids the overhand right again. He he re, he knows what Dorino, what Gilbert Burns is going to do now. Within this first only like two minutes, he's just reading everything so quickly. Just boom, slip, slip. Okay, overhand, slip, roll. And it's because he got hit with it. He got hit with it once and then never again because he read it. And he knew that that's what Burns was going to do. Um, he, he sees Gilbert's trying to pressure. He throws that knee up the middle. And one thing you'll notice with Dan Hooker, which as I watched his fights, I noticed, and I wrote it down here as like a, a point to go over, is he tends to throw the rear knee after the opponent misses with their power side. So with Jim Miller, he threw that overhand left. He threw it again, and then he stepped into range and threw the knee. With Ross Pearson, he tried to throw the jab, tried to throw the up jab, looked like he was going to throw that overhand power shot right up the middle. So Dorino is going to try to throw that overhand right over and over again in this fight, and he's just timing it. Okay, you're going you're gonna to duck your head down to come over with that power shot. I'm just going to counter you up the middle as you duck and try to put you asleep with this knee. After he throws the knee, which doesn't land 100%, it lands more on the body, he throws the right hand, which is going to circle Gilbert to the left side of Dan Hooker. So he throws the right hand, Gilbert's going to move away towards the left, which is the lead side. Hooker throws a left hook to the body, to the which would be, I believe it would be to the liver of uh, Gilbert Burns, if I remember correctly. He throws that left hook to the body and then comes up with the lead hook to the head on the same side. So rip to the body, rip to the head with the left hook. And uh, Burns throws his own left hook as Hooker throws his, but Hooker's lands first, 
hits him on the chin, drops him, gets on top of him one or two more strikes, and gets the first round TKO. The hook to the body, hook to the head is one thing that they use a lot in uh, boxing. You'll see a lot of guys roll in, try to slip in on the inside or move out to the outside, hook to the body, hook to the head. And uh, if Gilbert Burns' hook would have landed before Dan Hooker's, it might have been a problem. But since he landed to the body first, it made uh, Gilbert hesitate for a second because you get hit to the body, it kind of shocks you for a second. Then you throw your hook. So that little split second of getting hit to the body with that left hook gave Hooker enough time to land his shot first, drop Burns, and get the first round TKO. Up next, we have a fight between Dan Hooker and Edson Barbosa. And uh, Hooker ended up losing this fight. But one thing, one reason I think he ended up losing is because he immediately started this fight in a southpaw stance. When you fight in a stance that you're not comfortable with, it's a lot harder to defend strikes from the opponent and you're not as comfortable because you're so used to defending from your traditional stance. You know all the counters, you know all the slips, how to roll, how to read. But when you're in the southpaw stance, everything's the opposite way. So unless you're 100% seasoned as a southpaw, Against a guy like Barbosa, who's so quick, so explosive, it's going to be harder to time the, the 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 slips and time the distance and manage distance because you're in the opposite stance and strikes are going to be harder to defend. He fought in a southpaw stance to avoid the outside low kick of Barbosa. We know that Edson Barbosa is a great kickboxer. He throws really good kicks to the leg, kick to the inside, to the outside leg. And if he's able to land three or four outside low kicks, he's going to deaden your leg and he's going to drop you. And, and you're going to be screwed because then you're going to be a stationary target and Barbosa is just going to rip you apart. So the southpaw stance was done to, to minimize the risk of the leg kicks by only being able only having Barbosa being able to attack the inside of your right leg and not the outside leg, but it didn't work out too well for Hooker. Hooker went back to the orthodox stance later in the fight and uh, in like the third round and had a lot more success pressuring Edson Barbosa and trying to tire him out. But so much damage was done in that southpaw stance that even when he switched back to orthodox, the power wasn't in his shots and he wasn't able to land the power in the right knee and the right hand because his right side was already so heavily damaged. Hooker did end up getting the takedown and maintain top control for a little bit. Um, Bar Barbosa was able to get back up to his feet. This is again, and I believe this is in the third round or the second round. I'm sorry. This was in the second round of the fight. So the first round hooker really just got pieced up. Barbosa started going to the body more. So in the first round, it was just a lot of head shots and leg kicks. He was really attacking the right lead leg of Dan Hooker to get him to not be able to move. And then in the second round, he was going to the body because he knew Hooker wasn't going to be able to move out of the way as efficiently as he was in the previous round. The left and right power hooks were just ripping shots to the body. You know, there's a difference between throwing a straight punch and a hook to the body. A straight punch is uh, you're going to get a lot of power, but with hooks, you can rip a hook to the body. You can just put all your power and rah, 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 and just keep ripping shots to the body, to the liver, to the stomach, and it just is going to take so much air and so much wind out of your opponent. Barbosa's overhand right was working after he started going to the body because 
he Hooker was so worried about the body shots that the overhand was landing up top. And then when Hooker would go to cover his head to avoid the overhands, he would throw that overhand right. This is from Barbosa. He would throw the overhand right, lean over to his left side, and rip that hook to the body. A lot of guys do this. You'll see it. It's probably the best way to set up a hook to the body. You throw that overhand right. Now you're leaned, you're uh, crouched down. You're leaning to your left, and you have all your weight loaded onto your left hip, and you can push forward off that lead leg and land that hook to the body. So boom, boom, land that lead hook to the body. The third round came out. Hooker had already taken so much damage to the legs and to the body, and it was more of the same here. Hooker tried to take down Barbosa and push him up against the fence, and it didn't work. He just pushed him away. Barbosa landed a spinning back kick to the liver of Dan Hooker, and then about three to four switch kicks off the lead leg immediately. Just that that, that spinning kick to the body hurt him. You saw him go, oh, and stop for a second, and then he just went in. Switch kick, switch kick, switch kick, switch kick. But Hooker wasn't going down. He was taking all the damage. He was badly hurt. The corner could have easily stopped the fight, but he just kept pushing forward. He didn't want to give up. Then after those switch kicks to the body landed, Barbosa went back to what ended up setting up these kicks to the body, which was that those hooks to the body. He leaned and landed that left hook to the body, dropped Hooker, and ended up getting a third-round TKO. So a loss for Dan Hooker. First loss at lightweight, but you know, he learned from it, and in his next fight, he came back with a vengeance. His next fight, he fought James the Texecutioner Vic. This was on July 20th, 2019. Um, right out of the gate, again, this is a, a going trend with a guy like Dan Hooker. He's always faking and feigning and maintaining distance. He had to do it more against a guy like James Vic because Vic is so tall. I believe he's like 6'3", 6'4" around there for the lightweight division. He's very lanky, very tall, and he's really good at managing the distance. So Hooker knew, Hooker knew that he had to come into range and fake and faint. Boom, fake, boom. See what Hooker was or uh, what Vic was going to do? Was he going to bite off the feint and try to counter when a counter wasn't open and then Hooker could counter and stuff like that. So he maintains the distance and he lands that calf kick, baby. Calf kick city. Boom, low, low cut calf kick. Jab, low cut calf kick. Fake the jab, calf kick. Hooker fakes um, the jab and throws a hook cross. So he fakes a jab. I believe it was a jab or he faked a kick. He fakes Throws a hook on the same side, which he did in another fight, which we broke down earlier. Fake the jab, throw the hook. He throws a cross from the right hand. And then as he throws the cross, he steps forward into southpaw and lands a left hand, which connects on James Vick's chin. So, so jab, fake the jab, lead hook, step forward with the left hand, and land it as a power shot after the cross. So let's break this down one more time. I want to show you guys to see this. Fake, hook, lead side, cross, then step forward with the cross, and now your left hand's the power. He lands the left hand. It lands on Vic's chin. Um, he goes back to the cut kick. This was very, very important against a guy like Vic. He's more. He's mainly a boxer. He does throw kicks, but Vic is mainly looking to use his hands. So his stance is going to be, he's going to have a lot of force on that lead leg and just try to come into range and pop you. 
Vic throws a high kick and Hooker evades to his right with slick head movement. I've said this before. He has very, very good eyes and he's able to read a lot of your shots and see where you're coming from. Slip, counter, and move away. So Vic throws a high kick and Hooker just leans back like he always does. Boom. And then he's usually going to come back into range with a counter. And he just leans out of the way of the high kick like it's nothing. But when you're sparring and training with guys like Israel Adesanya, Brad Riddell, um, Shane Young, Alexander Volkanovsky. You're so seasoned and so good as a striker. And he coaches striking too. Uh, I believe he has his own gym that he coaches classes at. So he's just always, he's, he knows, he doesn't know it all, but he's seen everything. Hooker moves in with a left hook, then sits down and switches stances and throws a power left hook as he moves forward. So, so hook. Boom, lead left hook, sits down, moves his uh, right leg forward as he throws the left hook and throws the left hook again. So he switched into southpaw and threw that left hook. Same punch, but he had more power in the second one because it was his power hand now due to the switch stance. <sighs> Hooker throws a jab to a lead high kick and then a right calf kick. Again, same side attacks, attacking at all angles, jab, lead high kick, right calf kick. The lead high kick on the left side is going to direct you towards the right. You're going to have more, more weight on your right leg. Okay, calf kick. It's going to just add more power, add more power and give you more trouble with the movement. The finishing sequence. Hooker threw a left hook, which he knew was landing. That was the most successful punch that he had in the entire fight against James Vick, even though it was only one round. He threw the left hook and then fakes the right hand, steps into southpaw, which he did earlier, and then throws the left hook again. So left hook, fake the right hand, step forward, left hook, boom, catches James Vick right on the chin, drops him. He hit, lands two more shots on the ground. First round, TKO, the hangman is back, baby. Really good performance from Dan Hooker here. And uh, we're going to stop this part here, and then on the final part, we're going to break down his fight against Ally Aquina at UFC 243. So stay tuned, guys.